All right, let's go ahead and stand. Everybody okay tonight? Boy, y'all awful quiet tonight. Hey, the sun was shining today. It was beautiful. I mean, it's, it's nice. This is why we live in Texas, two months. And this is, <laughs> this is one of those months. Uh, thank you for being with us online. Uh, Timothy, would you shut that door for me? Thank you, sir. Uh, let's open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online tonight, if you'll, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Um, let's do pray. Again, we continue. Hey, we're in the middle of an election cycle. And uh, every time, I, you know, of course, being a vet, I, uh, I, I really believe it's our duty. And we need to pray. We need to pray for elections from the local dog catcher all the way up to the president. We need the mind of Christ. And so let's pray for our nation. Father, tonight we're grateful again for a, a privilege, the privilege of coming together. And uh, Lord, thank you for a beautiful day. And it's been a good week. Thank you for a good week. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, again, as we move into the spring, uh, springtime, uh, Lord, there's life. Lord, all, all these reminders of your providential care and your loving kindness. Tonight, Lord, as we open up, we again, we do it with a heart of gratitude. We reflect on your faithfulness in the past, and Lord, we anchor in faith of what you're going to do in our life now and moving forward. And I pray for the hands that went up tonight, Lord, those that need uh, a touch from you, Lord, that you would extend that healing hand and do what only you can. I pray for those that, uh, again, are discouraged. I pray for those that are uh, needing direction and guidance. Uh, Lord, I pray for those that, uh, Lord, just need comfort. Lord, just need someone with them. Uh, Lord, you are that friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so, Father, I pray uh, that you would just make your presence known. And, Lord, I pray for all the ministries on campus tonight that in everything that is done, that you would be lifted high, exalted, your name above all others. And, Father, we pray for our nation. Uh, Lord, as we uh, go into this election cycle from the local level all the way up, Lord, we pray that we would have your mind and that, Lord, we ask that you would, uh, Lord, do something. We need something in our country. We need a revival from border to border and coast to coast, Lord, give us a hunger and a desire, not just to know about you, but to know you. Be with us in our time of study tonight. Open our hearts. Let us hear what the Spirit says. We commit this time and service to you now. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. And while you're seated, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. A couple of announcements. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow is our food distribution, uh, 9 o'clock here. Uh, this is the one that uh, I have reached out to them to see if we can consolidate everything to here instead of doing one at the Yellow Jacket Stadium and one here. Uh, haven't heard back from them, but tomorrow's is here on property, so we'll do that at 9 o'clock. Uh, don't forget Sunday. Uh, Sunday night is the Watoto, uh, 6.30. Doors will open at 5.30, so you're welcome to come. Uh, I know that you're going to enjoy the Watoto. They are incredible. Uh, we'll receive an offering that night that will go straight to the Watoto to help them with their, uh, their orphanage and their education. Again, that's, that's, that's kind of what it is all about is helping them uh, educate children. Don't forget coming up in March the 24th is our uh, friend day. Uh, again, we're working our drama team, fine arts departments working real hard on getting things ready for a brand new production entitled What If? Again, you, you, you don't want to miss that. Bring somebody with you. It'll be one service that day, so just kind of make note of that uh, because of the drama. And then the day before, the 23rd, is our Shred It Day. 
So if you have any, um, somebody called me the other day and had, I don't know, I don't know, somebody had asked me about, uh, they had tax records from 50 years ago. I think it's time to shred them. <laughs> so uh, if, uh, if, if you have documents, if you have things that you want to get rid of, uh, to answer the question, it, is, it will be here on property on, on March the 23rd, which is a Saturday, from 10 to 12. And it, it's a big truck. It's kind of like, like the big truck we have out here with the food. It's a 26, I believe it's a 26-foot box truck that has a shredder in it. So basically you would drive up, uh, dump your stuff into a hopper-type thing, and they'll shred it right here on the property. It's not taken elsewhere to be shredded. It's shredded right here. So uh, anyway, that's uh, something we've done in the past in the community. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's interesting, you know, when you start talking about outreach, uh, you know, sometimes people think outreach has to be some, some fantastic, enormous, way-out-there type thing. Handing out a donut is an outreach. Offering a shred day is an outreach. Uh, doing something, providing something, find a need and fill it, find a hurt and heal it. And uh, so we are providing a service, and I know it will be well received. It always has. Anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. We're continuing on with our series, Here Comes the uh, Tonight, uh, Twisted. My, my title is Here Comes the Judge. And we're going to talk about <laughs> a, uh, a, another interesting scripture that is oftentimes taken out of context. And, and really, that's what Twisted is all about. We're looking at how to study the Bible and read it in context of what it means so that we can get a, a, an accurate picture of what is trying to be communicated rather than form our own opinion. So Matthew chapter 7, uh, we'll begin verse number, uh, number 1. Let me get it here. And these are the words of Christ. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, uh, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. That's a big word there. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. So, so as we continue with this series, this is another uh, scripture that is often taken out of context. And, and, and again, remember the, the whole in part of this teaching uh, is or this series is to glean, is to glean God's uh, truth, God's truth from the passage. In other words, we if we want to be a disciple of Christ, we want to we want to learn what He intends and what His truth is. In order to discover that, we've got to look at Scripture in the context in which it was written. So our verse tonight again is a, is a favorite. And I'll, I'll be honest with you; it's a favorite among those who have no religious leanings whatsoever. Because even, even if they don't know anything about the Bible, even if they can't tell you, uh, give you a name of a disciple, they can't name you a book of the Bible, there are people out there who know this verse and they use it a lot. And they say something like this, Judge not 
Don't the Bible say you're not supposed to judge? How many of you ever heard it like that? That's the context they use it. Not supposed to judge. Not supposed to judge. Again, so, so the verse is often used against Christians as a way to intimidate us from speaking the truth. If you stand up and speak, you know, whether, it, whether it's same-sex marriage or whether it's adultery or fornication or something like that, you, say, you know, you, you, I, I saw a lady the other day having, a, having a, a, just a mental breakdown because somebody said, well, the Bible says this, and she just erupted and said, I don't believe your Bible. I don't care what it says. You know, just went into a diatribe uh, angry <laughs> about the Bible. And they're always going to come back. doesn't matter if they don't believe the Bible. They know this verse, and they'll say, well, the Bible, you're going to quote the Bible that says don't judge. Aren't you judging? Aren't you violating the Scriptures? And that's what they mean when they, they use that. You know, one writer kind of summarized culture today by saying that our culture makes two grand assumptions today. And the first assumption is this, that religion is a private matter. Okay? And, 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 and again, I think most of us would would be able to, to validate that because it doesn't seem like people are upset that we practice faith as long as it's done in secret. What they don't like is if you wade into the public arena and stand up for his truth. You know, I remember, I've shared this with you many times before, but I, I remember many years ago, I was working for the health department at the time, and uh, it was back at the time when Bill Clinton was elected president, and his his and, and there was a lot of people upset because of his pro, pro-abortion stand, you know, some of the things that he stood for, and yet he ran on being a good Southern Baptist. His pastor that he had when he was in Arkansas had not too many months or a couple years before moved to Richardson and was pastoring a church in Richardson. And so he was interviewed by, I believe it was WFAA, and, and they asked him about that about, well, he identifies as a Southern Baptist, and, and yet he holds these values. And here's what he said, and I won't ever forget it, and that's why I remember, because I normally can't remember <laughs> last week. But what he said st- struck me. He said, he said, well, Bill's a great guy. He said, you got to understand that Bill has a public life, and he has a private life. And, it, and that really bothered me, because if my public life and my private life don't match up, that's, that's inconsistency. That's double mind, and, and I'm not picking on Bill Clinton. I'm just saying that, that's the thing. So, so, again, the world today, our culture makes the assumption that religion is a private thing and has no, no business being in the public uh, arena. And then the second assumption they make is that morality is relative, okay? Morality is relative. What, what does that mean? Well, it means that what might be a moral issue for you may not be a moral issue for me. It's relative. You know, it's however you, however you define it. So those are some of the assumptions that we have in our culture today, and I promise you that that is a very prominent attitude to have, even, even among Christians. I mean, if you go to look at some of the data regarding Western Christians, there's very little difference. There are exceptions, obviously. But, there, but on the, on, by and large, there's very little difference between someone who identifies as a believer and someone has no affiliation with the church whatsoever. That's, that's disturbing. That's very disturbing. And yet that's where we are in our culture. Again, the assumptions that our culture makes is religion is private and morality is relative. Some years ago, George Barna, which is a great organization that, that tries to keep the pulse of what's going on in Christendom 
uh, all over the world, but particularly in the West. And they ask American Christians for their views on issues like lying, cheating, the nature of God, sin. And what they discovered in their questioning, in their survey, is that seven out of ten Americans who call themselves Christians, um, more than seven out of ten Americans call themselves Christians, yet when they ask them these questions, just one in ten were able to answer basic biblical questions. And their conclusion was, as they went through all the data, only 10% of Americans, according to the survey, actually have a biblical worldview. That's sad. What's a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview is whereby we view the world through the lens of Scripture. That's a biblical worldview. You know, so we take our marching orders not from polls and surveys. We take our marching orders from the truth of God's Word. And so in their survey, they found that, that 10% actually have a biblical worldview. Uh, anybody ever read the book, Unchristian? It came, it, it came out several years ago. I've got it in my office. It's a book called Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity. And they found among those in their 20s that nearly 9 out of 10 young people view Christians as judgmental. How many ever heard that before? Well, I don't want to be around you Christians. You guys are judgmental. You know where that comes from? The scripture. The scripture. You know, they're very quick to say, when you, when you want to say, well, the Bible says you shouldn't do that, they're very quick to say, well, the Bible says don't judge. Gallup poll found that Americans today are more permissive on moral matters than ever before. And I like what Albert Moeller said. He said on virtually every issue, I quote him, on virtually every issue, especially every single issue related to sex, gender, and sexual morality, Americans have been moving steadily to a moral, a more, a more, I can't talk, liberal or passive direction. So, so again, I think we could all see that played out in, a, in modern culture today. We have mainline denominational churches that are splitting over the issue of same-sex marriages. We have mainline denominational churches that are splitting over, again, homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, uh, I I mean, all kinds of things. And and I think that we would say, it's safe to say, in the last 50 years, we've seen a huge shift in Christendom in the West. Now, it's not happening all over the world. In fact, places around the world, people are being delivered from this kind of stuff. But here, we're shifting more in alignment with it than we are differentiating from it. So, so that's kind of where our text comes in tonight. Now, our text, to, to give you the context, is part of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? One of the most famous sermons ever preached. Uh, it's found in Matthew chapters 5 through chapter 7. In chapter 5, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with eight blessings. We call them the Beatitudes. There are eight blessings that are available to an obedient Christian. Uh, he then challenges us to live as salt and light. Remember, he said that we're salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its flavor, it's not really good for anything. We're the light of the world. We're to be set up on a hill. Um, he, uh, Jesus proclaims himself. Again, as you follow through chapter 5, 6, and 7, he proclaims himself as the fulfillment of the law and then identifies several sins that we should avoid, things like anger and lust and things like that. And then that chapter ends with a call for us to love our enemies. In chapter 6... He teaches us how to give, how to pray, how to fast, 
how to seek his kingdom above everything else. And then we get to chapter 7, which I read, and he starts out with verse number 1, judge not that you not be judged. So if we're going to really understand that, again, most people use it today to mean that we can't say anything as to what's right and what's wrong. That's not what the verse says. That's not what it means. The key to understanding the context of that verse in, in Matthew 7, 1 is to recognize that the word judge is used two different ways in the New Testament. In the, in the Greek language, it has two different uses, and they're both utilized in the Greek language. The first use refers to a criticizing, uh, condemning judgmentalism, okay? Uh, we might say looking down the nose at somebody. It's a critical spirit. It's a hypocritical spirit. That's one of the contexts. That's one, of, that's one way the, verse, the word is used. But then the other use is to discern or to carefully differentiate. So, so we have to understand there's two uses of that, that same word, and, and, and that's what we have in the context. Now, one author put it like this. He said, Jesus did not say judge not followed by a period or an exclamation point, but rather followed with a clarification of what type of judgments to make and how to make them. Read in context. This isn't a prohibition against judging. It's a stern warning against judging improperly, end quote. And I think that's it. You know, nowhere in there does he say don't make judgments. It's the warning of don't make judgments improperly. Again, God does not, he doesn't save us to make us uh, Christian PIs to go check up on our brothers and sisters in the Lord. You know, I'm not to open up my own private investigation and go around and try to check out what Ronnie's doing or somebody else is doing and say, hey, Lord, did you see what he did? That's, that's not what it's about. So, so, again, understand those two contexts there. And, and here's the irony of that verse. I may, I, maybe I'm the only one who sees it. As soon as Jesus says not to judge, notice what he does. He then tells us how to judge. I like that. I find that pretty ironic. I mean, as soon as he said, don't judge, he then tells us how to make judgment. So the issue isn't that we should never pass judgment or speak out. It's how careful we have to be as believers to get it right. That's the thing, to get it right. We're not, we get it wrong when we come at something with a self-righteous, hypocritical attitude. That's, that's what the prohibition is about. We, shouldn't, we should never feel like we're better than somebody else. You know, I, I, I've met those super spiritual Christians that float about six feet above everybody else. What he's saying is don't be like them. Don't be like them. That's not what this is all about. So, so really the, simp the most simplistic way of looking at this verse is that you and I are to avoid the negative, critical judgmentalism, while at the same time we're to embrace a careful discernment. So it's, it's not, again, I, I neglect one and I embrace the other. So, so let's look at this. Let's unpack it. So the first thing is let's, let's talk about avoiding negative or critical judgmentalism. First two words right off the bat, judge not. Judge not. Now, it's important to understand in, in that culture, 
Jesus oftentimes, who did he, who, who hated him the most? Remember? It was the religious people. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the ones that, that just really, he irked them. You know, he called them a brood of vipers. I mean, he got in their stuff. And, and so uh, it's important to know that the phony Pharisees, they categorized people by all types of things. And, and, and they were quick to condemn those who were not part of the religious group. They looked down on their nose. You know, remember, Jesus talked about the man who, the, the religious man who went out to pray, and he stood there on the street corner and he, in front of everybody said, God, I thank you I'm not like him back here. That, that's what's happening. They elevated themselves to a position higher and better than everybody else. And so Jesus is speaking amid that type of culture. Uh, they looked down on people who didn't jump through the same religious uh, holy hoops that they did. They castigated those who, who sinned differently than they did. Again, that's how they were doing it. We, listen, when you and I condemn somebody, we're declaring that they have no worth. In fact, Paul said in Romans chapter 14, he asked the question. He said, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Who made you judge? You know, again, he, there was a point there. See, when we have that critical, negative judgmentalism, it is often uh, caustic, it's harsh, and it's hurtful. And, and the modern church, we're very good at disguising it as though it's a prayer request. No, no, it's a critical, hypocritical spirit. He states two things, and, and Jesus, notice the context here as he goes on. He says, judge not, and again, he's talking to people that would be familiar with the Pharisees looking down on them. And then he says, here, you, you, there are two things that are going to happen if you are hypercritical, are you cop a holier-than-thou attitude? And he said there are two things that happen. Number one, they call it the boomerang effect. Everybody know what a boomerang is? You know, duck twice. It's the boomerang. And the reason, so, so the first reason we should not judge is found in the second half of that verse. Why? That you not be judged. Don't judge lest you be judged. And, and he uses the singular you so we can personalize it. Mike, don't judge or you're going to be judged. That's pretty much what he's saying. If I judge, then I'm going to be judged. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, For with that judgment that you pronounce, you're going to be judged. And with the measure you use, it's going to be measured to you. In other words, the standard that I, in fact, the word measure uh, in that verse means a measuring rod or a standard, a, a, a yardstick. That might be a way of looking at it. A yardstick, something that we measure another by. He said, with the same criteria that you use to judge somebody else, that's the same that will be used to judge you. Listen, if you and I judge people according to our standards how many know there's, there's little chance they'll ever measure up, right? I mean, we're good. We walk, into a, we walk into a new building, a new place, and immediately, you know what we're doing? We're sizing people up. That's just, that's our nature. We're looking at the people that we want to run with and the people we want to avoid. We're making, we're making instantaneous, we're doing it just in milliseconds. We're sizing them up. He said, look, the same measurement that you have 
That same yardstick is what's going to be used to judge you. Judges, and there's some examples of that. If you go back to Judges chapter 1, in fact, I preached on this guy a long time ago. I need to bring him back out. There's a guy by the name of Adonai Bezek in, the, in Judges. And, and, and if you read his story, it's an interesting story. The word Adonai is Lord, and Bezek is lightning, Lord lightning. So this guy was a military genius. He was a, he was a tactician, a statistician. Uh, he, he was just incredible. He had conquered 70 kingdoms. And every one of the kingdoms that he conquered, he did two things to them, the kings. He cut off their big toes, and he cut off their thumbs. When Israel captured and conquered him, you know what they did? They cut off his big toes, and they cut off his thumbs. Now, there's a lot of spiritual things that can go into that. I, I was doing a I was doing a marriage thing in, in Louisiana. I won't ever forget this. I was preaching on this guy here. It was a Valentine banquet at the, at the church Sheila and I met and got married in. So I'm doing this, and I'm preaching about this. And right in the middle, you know, I'm talking about them cutting off the toes and cutting off the thumbs, and, and they start laughing. I mean, and, and it, was not, it, was a, it was not as funny as what they were making it out to be. And they just went on and laughed and laughed. And, you know, every time I talked about cutting the big toes off, and I thought, well, it's kind of humorous, but what in the world? It was just, just didn't seem to jive. And so after service, one of the guys came up. He said, he said Pastor, I, I just need to tell I'm sorry. He said, but just last week we had our Valentine banquet, and one of the games we played is we had all of the men stand up in the, in the gym and take off their shoes. And... We turned the lights out, and, their, and the wives had to go down the line and try to identify their husbands by their feet. And the couple that won, won because he had a big toe missing. <laughs> yeah. Then it made all the sense in the world. <laughs> uh, but but there's, an ex- there's a classic example right there. Uh, yeah, that's kind of gross. Not just the big toe missing, just touching nasty, nappy feet. <laughs> but that's an example right there of, of the measure you use. Well, how about in Esther? How about the story of Esther? Remember what, remember what Haman did? He built the gallows because he wanted to hang Mordecai. Guess who ended up on the gallows? Haman did. I love what Obadiah says. Obadiah in 1 chapter 15, I mean, chapter 1 verse 15 says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, listen to this, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. With the same measure you judge somebody, that's the same measure that will be used against you. The second thing, not only do we have the boomerang boomerang effect, now we have the beam effect, the beam. Jesus asked this question. He said, why, why do you, and you got to understand, this is hyperbole. This is, this is a comical thing to say. I would imagine that when Jesus said this, they start laughing because they're visualizing what Jesus is saying. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log or the plank that is in your own eye? Well, this is basically what that means is when we maximize, we basically we maximize the faults of others while we minimize our own faults. So the word speck, and again, I'm sure they probably busted out laughing because the word speck 
is splinter or a piece of, of chaff, but the word log or plank referred to a roof rafter. So imagine one of these beams. So, so the visual is that they have a grain of wood dust in their eye, and you got a 14-foot plank sticking out your head. That, that's what, and you have the audacity to say you got something in your eye. That's how ridiculous it was. You know, when we look at others and see their faults, we, in fact, are blind to the sin in our own soul. That's why I say we have to be careful. You know, there's no difference between me and somebody who's lost other than the fact that I've been found. That's it. I'm not better than anybody. I, I, I put my pants on the same way they do. I tie my shoes probably the same way they do. I don't know. They teach a new math I don't think I could do, so maybe they do tie differently these days. I don't know. But, I mean, there, there's no difference in us other than we have accepted the gift that's made available to all. Jesus is saying that the sin of a hypocritical, or excuse me, a hypercritical hypocrite is more egregious than the sin of the person being judged. We shouldn't do that. And we're critical by nature, right? I mean, we are. And that's why we can't do this life, this Christian thing, without the enablement of the Holy Spirit. It's just not possible. Because by nature, we're critical. It kind of reminds me of a story that a man was, was complaining to his coworker that every time he brought a woman home to meet his, his, uh, his parents... Uh, as a prospective girlfriend, maybe an eventual wife, that his mother just always criticized her unmercifully. I mean, just nobody ever measured up. And so he's talking to his buddy at work, and he said, I don't know what to do. Every time I bring a lady home, my mom just criticizes relentlessly, and I, I, I just don't know. And so the little, his friend looked at him and says, well, why don't you find somebody just like your mother? He thought, Huh. So he did. He looked around. He found somebody just like his mother. She looked like her. She walked like her, talked like her, even thought like his mother. The next time his friend saw him, he said, hey, how did that thing go with, with your mother and that girl? And he said, oh, man, my, it went great. My mother loved her, but my father couldn't stand her. <laughs> oh, no, that's bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, you know, he, he's not, and Jesus isn't finished yet, you know. So, so, I mean, he's trying to make a point. And he goes on and says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? How can you do that? Have you ever noticed that the tech, how many has ever looked at the mirror on the side of your car and there's a little bit of print on the bottom of it? Anybody know what it says? What does it say? Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. You know what that says to us? When we start judging other people, be very careful because our sin is closer than the way it appears. That's exactly what that's all about. So, so why do we need to avoid that critical, negative, critical judgmentalism? Well, number one, we don't know all the facts. My, my parent, my dad used to, when he raised me, he would always say something, and, and even I've heard it so many times in my life, don't go off half-cocked. In other words, make sure that you have the full picture. How many ever responded that knee-jerk reaction to something that didn't have all the facts? You responded, and then when you got all the facts, you had to go back and eat crow and say, hey, I'm sorry. That, that's what it means. Listen, we should not be 
judgmental because we don't know the critical type of judgmentalism because we don't know all the facts. In fact, Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. If one gives an answer before he understands the situation, it's his folly and shame. An owner of a warehouse decided to make a surprise visit to check and make sure all of his employees were working hard. And so he shows up, and he immediately looks over, and he sees a guy standing over there against the wall with his hands in his pocket, and he kind of watched him for a little bit. And he just stands there, got his hands in his pocket, and it starts fuming him, making him upset. He's getting really upset. He got angry, and he finally walked over there to him. He said, son, how much do you get paid a week? The man kind of stuttered around a little bit, and he said, 300 bucks. The man pulled out his wallet, peeled out $300, gave it to him. He said, here's a week's pay. Get out and don't ever come back. Well, the manager of the plant was nearby, and he was kind of baffled at what he had just seen. He walked over there to him, and the owner looked at him and said, hey, tell me how long this guy has worked for us. The manager looked at him and said, well, he didn't work here. He's just delivering pizza. <laughs> get all your facts, <laughs> get all your facts. Another reason is we don't, know, we don't know someone's motives. It's impossible to know what's in another person's heart. It's impossible, especially when we don't know what lurks, lurks in our own hearts. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light those things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let God be the judge. You know, I get asked all the time. People say, Pastor, what do you think about this preacher? What do you think about this ministry? My answer is, I don't make any judgments. You have to watch and discern for yourself. You have to listen to the voice of the Lord. I'm not going to sit in judgment of somebody else. Not my business, not my i got enough to worry about, right? Another thing, we should, we should distinguish between biblical issues, here I go, and personal preferences. That's a big deal. I need to avoid that critical judgmentalism because I need to figure out what is a biblical issue versus what is a personal preference. Listen, there are some things that are always wrong, and there are some things that are always right. But there are other issues that are uh, freedom provided that they don't cause a brother to stumble. And we have to be careful about it. The early church, I mean, you read about it. The early church had a lot of tension about eating meat, sacrificed to idols. And, and so Paul basically said, look, I'm, I'm tired of dealing with you people. Romans 14.3 says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. In other words, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Don't twist off because they do something that you would not do. Maybe that's your conviction that you have to live, right? I mean, think about it. I know that's, I'm just saying, how many, how many fights could be avoided if we learn to differentiate between what is a personal preference and what is a biblical issue? I mean, the unfortunate thing is I would put the, the majority of conflicts within the church in the realm of freedom expressed by individuals in Christ. Listen, I, and I'll be honest with you, I've done the same thing. There have been times I've visited a church 
another church, maybe gone to a conference or something, and immediately upon arrival, I already, I already start making judgments. I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, we get in there in the worship service, and they'll play a song that I know, and I like it. And then they'll play something I don't know, and I don't like it. And I'll play another one I don't like, and I don't like that. <laughs> and then I find myself getting kind of holier than, you know, just kind of, yeah, we wouldn't be doing that at our church. We're better than you. Hey, come on, we do it. Here's what I've discovered over the years. God's a great teacher. The Holy Spirit's a great teacher. While I'm copping an attitude, I look around and I see people with tears and they're streaming down their face, hands up in the air, and here I am with a judgmental, holier than thou, can't believe you're doing this and I'm here type of attitude, and they're over there worshiping the Lord. I don't know. Something wrong with that, right? I mean, they're worshiping while I'm judging. Something's wrong with that picture. Again, I have, we have to be careful about that. I remember several years, well, it's been longer than that, many years ago, we had a guy here by the name of Jeff Finholt. Jeff Finholt used to, uh, he, was, he sang with Black Sabbath for a little while, uh, the rock group back in the 70s, 80s. He uh, got saved, gloriously saved, and, uh, and, and traveled the Christian circuit for a while. He's passed. But we did a concert with him. And he had not been saved too many years. Um, and that's when we had the old brown drapes back there. And I'll never forget it because the veil was torn from top to the bottom. Not because of anything super spiritual. It's just they dry rotted over the years. And they just, with all that noise, they just come tumbling down. Right in the middle. I kid you not. And I had a guy in the church. Now you got to understand, Jeff had hair down to here. Towards the end of the bottom of his back there, right above his behind he wore a trench coat, had that long hair, and had a guy in the church got really mad at me. He said, why in the world are you bringing a long-haired guy into this church? And was really upset. And I just looked at him. I said, well, you don't have to come. I said, I'm, I'm not doing this for you. I said, there are people out there that he will reach that you and I on our best day could not reach. And I said, thank God that he judges us by the fruit we bear not the hair we wear. That's exactly what I said. That night, we packed this thing out. I, we had more goth people than I'd ever seen in my life. There were dog collars. There were spikes everywhere. I mean, I'd never seen the such. But you know what? We had people saved. We had people delivered that night. Listen, that taught me a very valuable lesson. Be careful about making judgments because I don't like something if there's a biblical issue, then I need to stand on the truth of God's word. Otherwise, hush. Another reason that we shouldn't make that type of critical judgment is we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Paul said, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. I'm not any better than anybody else. It's easy to gloss over our own sin while griping about the sin of somebody else. See, every one of us thinks our sin smells different than everybody else's. Listen, sin stinks. doesn't matter who bears it. It still stinks. Another thing we must seek against, I'm just giving you a bunch of them real quick. Uh, guard against seeking revenge. You remember the disciples in Luke chapter 9, um, James and John, they, they were ticked off at the Samaritans. You know, that was a big issue there anyway during the New Testament time. They didn't like each other. And so... Uh, James and John come to the Lord and they said, Lord, 
do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume them? <laughs> How would you like this? Lord, I don't like those people over there. How about just zap them one? Remember what the Lord, you remember what Jesus did? The Bible said Jesus turned, verse 55, he turned around and rebuked them. He rebuked them. And the third thing, I mean, the last thing is we will all face God's judgment. See, here's the thing that you and I can, can absolutely 100% guarantee. We'll all stand before him one day. If there are people that get away with things, so to speak, in this world, they'll be accountable then. It's not my job to try to keep track. It's not my job to keep a record. It's just my job to live my life in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, shine my light wherever I go, and let him sort it out. And you know what? He will. Remember the tares and the wheat sown together? Remember what he said, dude? They said, do we need to go out there and kind of separate? He said, no. Wait and harvest it at the right time. And he said, then you can divide the wheat and the tares. What is he talking about? He's talking about his judgment. I'll take care of that. That's his business. So, so we should avoid that critical judgmentalism. But again, at the same time, we should embrace careful judgment. So let's get to, I got to hurry up. Embrace careful judgment. So we're called to be wise in two things. Number one, we're to humbly help others. It's not wrong to see the speck in someone's eye. It's not wrong. What's wrong is when we exhibit a hypercritical or hypo, uh, 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 hypocritical or I can't even talk. A negative judgmentalism, that's what's wrong. A hypocritical, that's the word I'm looking for. It's not wrong to see a speck in somebody's eye. It's wrong to be a hypocrite about it. Notice Jesus said in verse 5, he said, you hypocrites. See, not my words, that's what he said. He said, you hypocrites, first take the log, take the, <laughs> take the, the, the beam, the plank out of your eye. And then you can see clearly to take the speck, the sawdust out of your brother's eye. You see, before we can remove the beam, or excuse me, the, before, actually, before we can remove the beam, we've got to recognize it, number one. You know, you can always tell when someone still has some judgmentalism going along. When, and, and here's how you know it. We become more enraged with someone else's sin than we are embarrassed and convicted by our own sin. That's how you know you got some judgmentalism going on. <laughs> when I'm more enraged and angry at somebody else sinning and I'm gloss over my own sin. After we do some self-surgery and some um, confessing our own sin, then he said, you are to humbly help others. Because when I deal severely with my own sin, I'll be more sensitive. You know, isn't that amazing? You find somebody who's been broken, they tend to be most helpful to others. People who have been, who have been uh, you know, the, the rock, have been crushed by the rock, Jesus, have, have repented have broken down, been broken down, they're very helpful to others. They're very helpful. You know, they, they understand. You know, Psalm 51, remember David? You know, David prayed that prayer of confession in Psalm 51. After he prayed that prayer, here's what he says in verse 13. He said, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. What is, what is, what is he saying? He said, look, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he talks about, don't take the Holy Spirit from me and, 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 and renewing. And, and, he, and he goes through that repentance. And then he says, and, and once I'm done, and once you finish with me, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Paul picks that up in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He said, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
Keep watch yourself, lest you be tempted too. Again, it's true that we should never judge a book by its cover, but we can judge a book by its content. Again, it's not wrong to make judgments. We should not be hasty, and we should do so with a spirit of humility and gentleness. Decide to be discerning. Negative judgment is bad, so we make wise judgments. Verse 6 says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now, dogs are not like our domesticated you know, furries, you know, that hang around the house or whatever. Back then, dogs and hogs were unclean animals, and they were renowned for their ferocity. Their, their, they, they were aggressive when they were provoked. They, they symbolized those who scorn and mock the truth. Listen, there are people today that will blatantly laugh in your face. They, 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 again, I, Paul said, if it, as, long as, it, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. That means that I need to be as peaceable as I possibly can, but I can't dictate how other people receive and how they respond. Some people may not. Pigs, pigs were the epitome of uncleanness for the Jews. Pearls were, were invaluable in that culture, probably more precious than diamonds. Jesus is saying that, you know, be careful. Be careful not to give something priceless to someone who's going to turn around and attack you. Be careful about that. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 22 says, The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mud. Proverbs 14, 7 says, leave the, presence of, leave the presence of a fool, for there you do not meet words of knowledge. In other words, don't hang out with people that don't return the knowledge. Those who mock, those who ridicule, they're not. They're, remember, good company corrupts. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know, Jesus practiced this very thing. Remember when he stood in front of Pilate, he answered his questions, but when he stood in front of Herod, he kept his mouth shut. He was practicing that right there. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to judge our neighbors and our coworkers? Proverbs eleven nine says, "With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor." But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. (laughs) Got to love Proverbs. But a man of understanding remains silent. Instead of blasting our neighbors, we're to look for ways to bless them. So I got to hurry up and bring this, this in for a landing. The only way to get rid of a hypercritical or hypo, uh, uh, hypercritical or hypo, I can't say hypocritical. That's the word I'm trying to say. The only way to get rid of that uh, is to consider the cross. That's the only way to get rid of that. In order to get rid of the beam, we've got to recognize that Jesus took upon himself the, the judgment that we deserved. Paul said that he, took the, that he took the handwritten ordinance that was against us. I always said that's an invoice. Because remember, the, the wages of sin is what? It's death. So we, we were born with an invoice that said, The amount due was death. But Paul said he took that handwritten ordinance that was against us and he nailed it to the tree. What did did he do with that? He canceled the debt. So, So when we are quick to make judgment against somebody, we've got to remember that he paid our debt that we deserved. 
He took upon himself that. It, you know, it reminds me of, of, of John chapter 8 when, uh, when the religious leaders were expressing their judgmentalism by, by bringing to Jesus. Remember what they, what they did? They brought this lady that was caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. And they brought her out to Jesus. <laughs> and, 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 of course, now they're waxing very eloquent and very spiritual. And they said, well, the law says we ought to do this. What say you, teacher? And you can, again, almost sense the, the snideness of their remark. And Jesus, what does he do? He first deals with their own sin. <laughs> the Bible says he stooped down and there's been a lot of speculation what he, what he drew in the ground. I don't know what he, when we get to heaven, we can ask him if that's an issue. Some people say he wrote the name of the, of the man that she was just with <laughs> and it was one in the crowd. I don't, I don't know. It could have been, but he stoops down, and for all we know, he's playing tic-tac-toe. Teacher, what do you say? She's been caught in the very act. Moses said she's to be stoned. What say you? He stoops down starts playing around a little bit in the dirt, and probably, this is the way I look at it, probably didn't even look up. He said, huh, you know what? He who's without sin casts the first stone. A holy hush. You know what he did? He got past that, that hyper-critical spirit, and he nailed them in the heart. You pompous, pious, religious blowbag. You think you're so good, you. If you're so good, you throw the first rock. Remember what they did? They dropped their rocks. And they walked away. And then Jesus, after dealing with their sin, he now turns to the woman. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And then he takes care of her sin and he said, go and don't sin anymore. That's what he did. See, we have to take care of what's in our heart and let him take care of what's in somebody else's heart. You see, the Bible's very clear. We need to make judgment. Listen, I think that today, you know, because Paul even said, and I'm going I'm to wrap this up. Paul even said that today people would not endure sound doctrine. If we are not, if we're not discipled, if, we're not, if we don't know, you know, do you know what the most expensive thing of all, if you've heard, me, you've heard me preach on it, you know what I'm talking about. You know what the most expensive thing of all is? It's not dime. I, I saw a yacht when we were on vacation a few years ago. There was a yacht. We go to Cabo, Mexico. Been going there for about 20 years. There was a yacht down there. Biggest thing I'd ever seen outside of a cruise ship. I mean, it was huge. Had a helicopter on the back of it. I thought, man. And of course, my nosy daughter wanted to find out, so she Googled the name on that boat. You know, they have names. So register. They, she Googled the name on that boat, and it was owned by a Brazilian billionaire, and that boat cost $367 million. And it costs $250,000 a week to run. Whoo! <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I was going to say with that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the most expensive thing of all. Thank you. See, <laughs> See, I got blown away. I'm still mesmerized by a $360 million boat. You know, I, I can catch fish in a, in a, in a you know, a pontoon or, or, or even a canoe. But 
the most expensive thing of all is ignorance. Ignorance. What we don't know will hurt us. And if somebody comes and says, oh, the Bible says don't judge, they have no clue what they're talking about. We should not judge with a critical spirit, but we must be discerning of what is right and what is wrong. Because Isaiah said that there will come a time when people call good evil and evil good. Paul said, Paul said it. Perilous times would come. He gave you a list of things that would, would, would let us know we're in those times. And he said people would not endure sound doctrine. Today, you preach a holiness message. People don't want to hear it. They want to hear that Jesus is the genie in the bottle. And if you rub him the right way and say the magic words, you're going to get a poof. You're going to get a wish granted. Well, Jesus also said, come out from among the world and touch not the unclean thing. He also said, if you're going to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not worthy of me. So he's not saying don't make judgments. He's saying don't be hypocritical about it. Don't be overly concerned about what somebody else is doing while you yourself pay no attention to what's happening in your own life. Won't you stand with me as we close this out tonight? We do need to know God's word. That's why we should hide it in our heart. We need to anchor in the truth of his word. Be prepared. That's why I'm doing this study because there are so many things taken out of context. And, 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 and then the enemy, like, listen, the author of confusion is, is, a, is alive and well in our world today. Again, when we can't make up our minds as to, you know, they say now that gender identities, there's over 150 that you can choose from. What? Again, and I don't mean that in a, in a mean-spirited way, but it just boggles my mind at how confused we are in our culture. And if, we're, if, we, if, if we don't know the truth, if we're not anchored in the truth, how easy it is for somebody to manipulate and try to convince us otherwise. Judge not lest you be judged for the same measure you use. We'll be judged as well. Before you take the speck out of somebody else's eye, deal with the plank in your own, and then you will better be able to see. And that was the whole point. You will better be able to see how to come along somebody. You know, Paul said, those who are spiritual, if you find a brother at fault, you who are spiritual, go and restore him. You can't restore somebody if you've got a beam sticking out of your eye while trying to deal with his speck. Alma? How so? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, we talked about that. A, a two-edged sword. You know, the Bible says the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. It cuts both ways. We can use it to slice other people, but you've got to understand it's a two-edge. It, it can slice through our hypocritical spirit and expose what's inside there. Sure, absolutely. That's what the word does. I want you to bow with as we close in prayer tonight. Again, I know it's a little bit different. Uh, I, I hope you're getting something out of these lessons because um, that's the whole point. It's not just to hear myself talk. I want us to learn and to glean from the scriptures God's truth because it's only his truth that sets us free. And as we close in prayer, I just want to ask tonight, and if you're online tonight, uh, two things. One, if you're here, say, you know what, Pastor, it's been a pretty rough week. I want you to pray that 
you know, God would just be with me the rest of this week and just you know, minister, make, make, make things, you know, just have favor in my life. And then the second thing is you hear him say, you know what, Pastor, I want to rightly divide the word of truth. I want to rightly handle God's word, and I want to grow in that area. I want God to help me illuminate his truth in my life. If that's you, just slip your hand right up and right back down, and we're going to pray for you. Amen. Father, tonight I love you and I thank you. Lord, your word is true. It's a lamp and it's a light. It guides us. It protects us. It shields us. Lord, it defends us. Lord, I pray tonight for those that might be struggling this week. Maybe it's been really tough, especially with just things that are beyond our control. God, I pray that you would just take charge and that you would just work all those things out. That's what you said in Romans 8, 28, that you'll work it all together. For Brother Royce, as he goes in for surgery tomorrow, we pray for him, uh, Lord, that you would be with him in that surgery and that everything would go better than what they could even anticipate. Lord, and I pray for those tonight that said, you know, I, I just want to rightly handle your word. I want to learn your truth, and I want to anchor in that which is eternal. It doesn't shift with pop culture and polls and public opinion. It's anchored in that which is settled in heaven. Help us to do that. Help us to apply ourselves and to disciple, discipline ourselves to grow. Now, I ask you to go with us tonight. Give us a great night. Lord, should you, Terry, bring us again on Sunday, even now, ordain what you're going to do. Bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and I bless each one now in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, amen. Thanks for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much. Every soul held captive by depression